right, it's Thursday, and you are listening to yet another episode of Days of the New. I am Kevin, as always, joined by my co-host, Nick. Nick, how the hell are you? I'm doing good, Kevin. Um, I'm excited to talk about what we're talking about today. I think it's a little bit of a fringe episode, but it's an important one, and I think uh, I think we all might learn something today. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely going to learn a thing or two. Uh, this is an episode that I have wanted to do for quite some time. Uh, it's a band that was really huge in my growing up and uh, an album that I personally think holds up. So today we are going to be talking about a proto new metal band that, while predating the genre by a few years, plays a pivotal role in it. I'm talking about Body Count. For those of you unfamiliar, Body Count is a band comprised entirely of black musicians and fronted by famous rapper Ice-T. Nick, were you ever a Body Count fan back in the day? No, I think I was too young, uh, ultimately. I mean, this album came out when I was 10 years old. I mean, I do remember the controversy, but I was a white kid in the suburbs. So, like, I heard the controversy through the ears of a white kid in the suburbs who not yet right. had reached like an age of rebellion or whatever. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is this bad stuff they're singing about, you know? And like, it was only until like I got into high school and like, this is, you know, obviously pre-internet. So like, mm -hmm. you didn't get to hear the controversial songs on this record unless you got a hold of the record. And someone like me never had the opportunity to. So I didn't hear parts of it until high school. And like, I never heard the whole record until recently. Yeah, so this one for me, yeah, I was like 10 or 11, we're the same age. Uh, I must've been like sixth grade at this point. One of my buddies had an older brother who had all these CDs and shit. So we would, you know, go into his room and that's where I found the original unedited Body Count album. Now, for those of you who don't really know what we're talking about, this all leads up to a cultural flashpoint, which is the song Cop Killer. And we're going to get there, but it's not just about Cop Killer. There was a lot that Body Count brought to the metal space that would set the stage for new metal. The idea of a rapper getting into metal and vice versa is nothing new these days, as evidenced by people like fucking Machine Gun Kelly, who just go from genre to genre and nobody really blinks an eye. Ice-T was the first. He was the Bo Jackson of rap and metal, and people could not wrap their minds around it. Like, but wait, he's the rapper, but he's in the metal band. And it was that dichotomy that people were really seeing for the first time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, his future obviously went in an even more bizarre direction. Uh, <laughs> uh, and we'll talk about that later. But yeah, at the time, I think body count is what really separated Ice-T. Like, he isn't... Ice-T is more about image and persona and personality than it is about mm -hmm. technical skill. And I think in a lot of ways, body count is too. You know, with a with a vocal delivery somewhere between Eazy-E and Wesley Willis, <laughs> Ice-T just isn't the most talented MC in the world. No, he's really not. And he's not really a great singer or screamer or shouter but he's in it all oh, the way yeah. there's no half measures and that's what makes him great is that you know he's putting his all in and kind of in the same way i think henry rollins like henry rollins is not a great vocalist but his presence and his complete conviction in what he's doing makes him a you know, a cultural icon. And and sometimes it's real and sometimes it's a bit, mm -hmm. but they're 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 into it 
all the time. Yeah, uh, exactly. Like Ice-T has a role to play, and he's going to play that role. Yep. A lot of what we're going to be talking about today is all about the time period in which it happened. So at this time, 1992, rap was about 20 years old, and that was, you know, the hip hop, a hippie to hip hop. Right. Like, yeah. The, yeah. the, these are the birds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and what most of us recognize as rap music really only entered the public less than 10 years before Body Count with uh, NWA and um, other artists, including Ice-T, where that's what we would recognize as early rap. That was really less than 10 years old. Like, rap now is respected as a legitimate genre art form uh you know the new kendrick album just dropped which is fucking amazing and really it is the most popular music in the world at the time it was still a fad it this was where like a lot of suburban parents were seeing what their kids were listening to and going like hm, more like crap music well in some cases kevin like that that narrative hasn't died like that, like rap isn't really music narrative, like remained popular amongst the political right in America until till, until this day. Uh, I'm going to play a clip uh, from 2019. Uh, this is Ben Shapiro on his own show. My case against rap is I, I have the <laughs> musical case against rap and then I'll get to the cultural case. Okay. Against rap. So, so the, the musical case against rap is that in, in my view and the view of my music theorist father who who went to music school the there are three elements to music there is harmony there mm -hmm. is there is melody and there is rhythm okay. and rap only fulfills one of these the rhythm section that there's not a lot of melody and there's not a lot of harmony mm. and thus it is basically effectively spoken rhythm and so it's not actually a form of music it's a it's a form of rhythmic speaking uh, and <laughs> and thus i and so beyond the subjectivity of me just not enjoying rap all right, so anyway, fuck this guy and his little wiener voice. What the fuck is he even talking about? Yeah, I mean, the definition of music, uh, harmony is not in it, and there's plenty of melody in, in rap music, so. Uh, it, it, it's, it's just, Fuck you, Ben Shapiro. Yeah, oh, and by the way, he's telling this to a black guy. Yeah, who's just laughing. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Oh, God, fuck that guy forever. But in spite of, or maybe because of it, People seeing Ice-T kicking ass in two diametrically opposed genres of music was something special. That would be where the story would end, except for Cop Killer, which would become the national lightning rod for controversy that would even reach the White House. But before we get there, we need to learn a little bit about Body Count's enigmatic frontman, Ice motherfucking T. Are you ready, Nick? Absolutely. Tracy Lauren Marrow was born February 16th, 1958 in Newark, New Jersey. Wait, his last name is Marrow? Yeah. How is this guy not named like Bone Marrow? What <laughs> with iced tea? Oh, we will get to that. Okay, thank you. Th there's kind of like a real boy named Sue thing going on here where he's got Tracy and Lauren. Like he can't yeah, even no go. Shit. Yeah, it's that's tough. The son of Solomon and Alice Marrow. Tracy's childhood was largely uneventful, and by all accounts, he had a loving and supportive home life. As a child, his family moved from Newark to the more upper-class Summit, New Jersey. It was here that Marrow would recount his first experiences with racism, seeing his white friends hurl abuse at black children. And that's abuse that Marrow did not experience due to his lighter complexion, when this confused and upset him. And his mother consoled him by saying, Honey, some people are stupid. 
She wasn't wrong. Uh, and it's that kind of attitude, that very kind of like, well, fuck him attitude that would inform how Ice would navigate the rest of his life. Sadly, Tracy's bucolic childhood would come to a very abrupt end. Alice would die of a heart attack when he was only in third grade. And Solomon would raise Tracy as a single father until he was 13 when his dad also died of a heart attack. Oh, shit. I had no idea. Yeah. So 13 years old and he's an orphan. He bounced around living with various family members until settling up with an aunt in Windsor Hills, which is an upper middle class and predominantly black neighborhood in South Los Angeles. And it was also here where he would discover his love of rock and roll. In his 2011 autobiography, Ice, a memoir of gangster life and redemption, Ice-T said, My love for rock and roll didn't start with my band Body Count. My introduction to rock started when I was living at my aunt's house back in the mid-70s. My first cousin, Earl, had already graduated from Dorsey High, but he was hanging around thinking he was Jimi Hendrix. He was one of the few rocked-out black guys I'd met. So, you know, he, he got into Sabbath and Jimmy and all that and got a, a more well-rounded musical education. Gotcha. And while the seed that would flourish into body count had been planted, the universe had more immediate plans for ice. In eighth grade, he moved to the Crenshaw District of Los Angeles and the following year began attending Crenshaw High School. And this was at the beginning of the 70s, so gangs like the Bloods and Crips were just now forming, and ice was in the eye of that storm. And he became affiliated with the 74 Hoover Crips, but he never actually graduated to a full member. And uh, in 2004, he addressed a group of students at Rutgers saying, I never rolled out on drive-bys or killed nobody. People that think gangs are cool are basically stupid. Gangs are basically surrogate families. So he has a great amount of self-respect and restraint and insight to look at the long game and go, nah, this isn't for me. Right. Well, I mean, at no point is, is Ice-T a stupid man. No. And really, the more I research this album, the more I see the dude is kind of fucking genius in the way that he makes moves throughout the industry and his productivity. And that drive never dies. He's always like, all right, what's the next thing I can do? What's the next thing I can do? The man works fucking hard. Uh, and he doesn't have time for shit that's going to slow him down. Famously, he admits that he's never used alcohol, tobacco, or drugs. Like, for all intents and purposes, he's straight edge. And that allows the singular drive. Back to eighth grade. It was also in this time that Ice would discover the former pimp-turned-author Robert Mopin, better known as Iceberg Slim, gaining his name from his frosty temperament and for staying calm in emergencies. Slim's 25-year career as a pimp would see him have over 400 bitches in his stable. He retired from the game in 1961 and documented his experience in the 1967 autobiography, Pimp, The Story of My Life. Young Tracy discovers this book and it changes everything for him. So here's a little excerpt from that tome as read by Iceberg. God damn it, has one of you bitches shit on herself or something? I bellowed as I flipped the long window toward me. For a long moment, there was silence. Then Rachel, my bottom whore, cracked in a pleasing ass-kissing voice. Daddy, baby, that ain't no shit you smell. 
We've been turning all night and ain't no bathrooms in those Trix's cars we've been flipping out of. Daddy, we sure been humping for you, and what you smell is our nasty whore asses. I grin widely, inside, of course. The best pimps keep a steel lid on their emotions, and I was one of the iciest. Yeah, so really great, great guy. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Yeah, dude, it doesn't get any better from there. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, not a good dude. Uh, but we're going to have to put like an extra parental advisory at the top <laughs> of this episode. <laughs> yeah, Iceberg Slim, um, real, real piece of shit, uh, sex trafficker and uh, just, uh, you know, but hey, it was a different time. So... Young Tracy was just enamored with Iceberg's writing, and he would memorize excerpts from this book and, like, recite them on cue to his friends. And that would gain him the name Ice, after the novelist, and T for Tracy. Okay. Yep. During this time, Ice would perform with the singing group The Precious View of Crenshaw High School. Crenshaw High School is an important place for our story, as it's where Ice would meet Fellow body count members, Ernie Cunningham, Victor Ray Wilson, Dennis Miles, and Lloyd Roberts III, also known as Ernie C., Beatmaster V., D-Rock, The Executioner, and Moose Man. <laughs> moose Man's so cool. I just imagine a dude who fucked a moose and then they raised like this abomination in the eyes of God. <laughs> <laughs> it's Moose Man! <laughs> So I will put uh, on the screen what I'm showing Nick uh, I'll put that <laughs> on Instagram. A, a moose man. Yeah. In 1977, Ice knocked up his girlfriend, giving birth to a daughter. Short on options, Ice joined up with the United States Army, and he was stationed in Hawaii on Oahu's Schofield Barracks. Aside from bumping up against military authority a few times, his career there is largely uneventful. But two things of note were him meeting a pimp named Mac who schooled him on the game and discovering Sugar Hill Gang's Rapper's Delight, which started his love affair with hip-hop. In December of 1979, after serving two years and two months, Mero was discharged as private first class. So back stateside and determined to make a name in rap, Ice-T started out as a DJ before switching it up to an MC while also moonlighting as a bank robber. Here he is. <laughs> Here he is on a 2017 episode of Drink Champs detailing his felonies. You want to hit it? It's right, fuck it. It was a oh, four, five, nine. Four, four, five, nine. It's a burglary. Oh. If you're going to rob a jewelry store, rob it at the time it opens or the time it closes. Why? Because the safe's open. Right. Oh. In the morning. So what you want to do is you want to get there right when they let pulling the shit out of the safe. Oh. Right when they're pulling those plaques out. No, that, that's yeah. true. That, that's true. That was when. So once when you see a jury store at night, when they close that door at the last minute and they start to. And if you really want to time it, let them lay the plaques up. Let them get everything out and up. No, out of the window. Let them do it for you. Yeah, he just goes on and on. It's obvious he did this shit. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, thank goodness for the statute of limitations. Yep, and that's exactly what he goes on to say in that interview. Two of his accomplices did wind up going to jail, and they uh, sat for him and did some time. When they got out, they are now officially on Ice-T's payroll. So, guys, crime does pay. Don't snitch. Keep your fucking mouth shut. Yeah, Yeah, right? Luckily for us, Ice did not go to jail, and he broke into the music scene in 1982 with the single Cold Wind Madness. And it did modestly well for not having any radio play, and that's presumably because of its political lyrics. But I'm also venturing because it's over six fucking minutes long. It's not what you would expect. Uh, It's that electro rap kind of sound. But where most people first met Ice-T was on the song Reckless, featuring DJ Chris the Glove Taylor. This track would be prominently featured in the 1984 classic Breakin', and again in Breakin' 2, Electric Boogaloo, and in the final film of the trilogy, Rappin', which is also known as Breakin' 3, Electric Boogaloo. Oh, God, I didn't know the third one even existed. Yeah, well, we'll get to that Civil War soon enough. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, here's ice in breaking. You people came to party and you want to do it right. You got to rock and shock this spot. So, good luck to the groove tonight. Now, first, you all must feel that this party is for real. So, listen to the glove as he slows down on the wheel to steal. Move your body to the beat that will make this move complete. Love mixes are unique and he will take you. Yeah, not great, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, what? Were there three rappers at the time? How did the, <laughs> the producer of this film be like, uh, I don't know, fucking go with this guy? I don't really fucking know. <laughs> you know, this is where Ben Shapiro is basing his entire knowledge of hip-hop off of this song. <laughs> yeah, right. And this looks like a just a cross between like Footloose and the Warriors. Like, yeah. I don't know what's going on here. Yeah, everybody's dressed up like they're in uh, the fight scene from uh, The Last Dragon. and Yeah, meets yeah. Um, like... Back to the Future too, when they're in the future and they're all wearing hot pink and on hoverboards. Yeah, except, except not white. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, yep, pretty much. In 1986, Ice T recorded Six in the Morning. Now, this song is universally hailed as a classic and one of the songs that birthed the genre of gangster rap. I'm gonna play a little bit of that for you right now. In the morning, police at my door. Fresh Shadita squeak across the bathroom floor. Out my back window, I take my escape. Didn't even get a chance to grab my old school tape. Mad with no music, half it could free, and the streets to a play. What the fuck? After saving with customized car insurance from Liberty fuck? Mutual, I customize everything. Like Marco's backpack. It's the place to be. Got a knot in my pocket when so like pretty safe stuff by modern standards but at the time this was like what yeah definitely this track would land him a deal with sire records and seymour stein the record executive who initially signed him called him the bob dylan of hip-hop amazing (laughs) just Amazing, <laughs> which I kind of agree with. The fucking the fucking sample is a fucking hi hat and a kick drum, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. He would release his first album, Rhyme Pays, in 1987, and follow it up with albums Power and The Iceberg. Now he's a firmly established commodity in the rap world. Ice T had an epiphany while on tour. 
I had been going to Europe and I would notice that the kids would mosh to fast rap. Like when Public Enemy would play Bring the Noise, it'd be a mosh pit. So I was like, you know what? We should make a rock band. So I came back and I got them together and I said, look, we got an idea for a band. We're gonna base it off of Black Sabbath, Slayer. We're gonna base it off of Suicidal. Suicidal. So that's kind of where he got the inspiration to like, okay, let's do body count. I like how watching these old videos of Ice-T because he's like a 70-year-old man now. Like <laughs> how he just has like the most dyed black facial hair still to this day. <laughs> he really so does. To me. Everything has aged on Ice-T except his hair. Like his hair <laughs> just keeps getting younger. Um, um, and yeah, no, I do want to, I do want to like comment on that where he says he's going to base, base it on Black Sabbath and Slayer and Suicidal Tendencies. Like you can hear all those influences. Oh, like he's not yeah. just talking sh like shit. Like you, you can, like when you listen to this album, like maybe, maybe that's a fun exercise, Kevin, as we go through this album, what band does this song sound like? <laughs> I, I can absolutely play that game, man. But yeah, so 1991 was a crazy year for Ice-T. He got his first major role in the film New Jack City as Detective Scotty Appleton, where he starred alongside Wesley Snipes and a then-unknown Chris Rock as Pookie the Crackhead. Maybe his best role. Yeah, yeah. And this would also uh, begin the long history of Ice-T playing police officers. Yeah, and if you are listening uh, on uh, the week that we released this, uh, New Jack City is featured on Netflix in the United States right now, so available for streaming. On the music front, Ice-T would also release Original Gangsta that May, and it's here that we meet Body Count for the first time and get a taste of things to come. On track 18 on Original Gangsta is just titled Body Count. To success on your past albums, some have said you've sold out because of your use of rock and roll in your music. How do you reply to that? You see, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, rock and roll is truly black music. It was created by Chuck Berry, Little Richard, and black people like that who started off back in the day, you know. And as far as I'm concerned, music is music. I don't look at it as rock, R&B, all that kind of stuff. I just look at it as music, you know. And anybody who said that I sold out, they can basically suck my dick because I really don't give a fuck about that shit, you know. But uh, I do what I like, and I happen to like rock and roll, and I... Feel sorry for anybody who only listens to one form of music. Now, right now, I got my own rock band that's got to jump off. It's a real black hardcore band called Body Count. And uh, on some of the records, I'm like laying some vocals on it. And uh, I got a tape of it right here. Yo, check it out. Yeah, and in the middle of this rap album, he gives us the track Body Count, which will be featured and we'll get to in a minute. But that was kind of how he promoted an album that was going to be coming out that they hadn't even recorded it yet. Right. So Body Count's first album, self-titled Body Count, was recorded from September to December of 1991. So for our younger listeners, I want to paint a picture of where the country was at leading up to the recording of this album. Operation Desert Storm had just begun. The video of Rodney King being beat by the LAPD and the indictment of those officers had just happened. The Chicago Bulls won their first NBA championship against the LA Lakers. The first Sonic the Hedgehog video game deb debuted in the US. Jeffrey Dahmer was arrested. And then 
Ren and Stimpy, Rugrats, and Doug debuted on Nickelodeon. See, that's that's why I was distracted. That 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 must be why I missed out on this. I was just watching a lot of Doug. <laughs> no body body count. What you weren't rushing out to get the new body count album? I wasn't. And then that's right before they recorded. While they were recording the album, Bill Clinton announced he'd seek the 1992 Democratic nomination for president. Magic Johnson announced that he had AIDS. Freddie Mercury died of AIDS one day after making his diagnosis public. The Soviet Union collapsed. And Nirvana released Nevermind. It's a crazy fucking time. Yeah, definitely. Major, major cultural shift. Yeah. When picking up this album, you are greeted by an illustration from Los Angeles artist David Halley. We are looking at a comic book style illustration of a uh, very muscle bound black gentleman with some sort of uh, bandana on his head holding chains in his left hand. He is shirtless. He has a revolver tucked into his waistband, um, and he has a tattoo on his chest that says cop killer. (laughs) Yep. I have a quote that I want to read from him. He explains, it was an Ice and Holly collaboration 100%. Warner Brothers art department had absolutely nothing to do with the concepts or design elements. The reason I bring this up is to highlight that Ice's visions are solely organic and uncontaminated. We wanted a symbol of an anti-hero slash vigilante, a defender against authoritative abuses of power. The cop killer nightmare image is a synthesis of inner city angst, a Frankenstein of Tukey Williams mixed with Black Panther core practices and other sinister motifs. And in 1997, Ice was interviewed by Metal Hammer, and he said, he's what we figured was the fear of America, some guy right at the joint, a gang member with a gun and cop killer written on his chest. He, he was right. <laughs> yeah. Now, I owned this album and I have an extremely vivid memory of the day I got it. So I called up my mom to see if she remembered. <laughs> I am here with my mother. Mom, hi. Thank you for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Hi, everybody. I just sent you a image of the cover art for Body Count's self-titled album. Does this ring any bells? No. None? Uh, you know, you had so much weird shit when you were a kid that <laughs> it all kind of runs together. I mean, I could have seen this before. I mean, I probably have seen it before, but, you know, who can remember? It's been a while. This particular memory was that they used to have like local promotions on uh, the inside of a two liter of Coke or something where it'd be like uh, $5 off a CD at your local Karma Records, right? And okay, sounds familiar, yeah. Yeah. So you took me out to one and I grabbed this Body Count album. Yeah. And because you were overworked and stressed, and I believe you were probably in college at the time, went, yes. you just went, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And you took it and you paid for it for me. Okay, that sounds that sounds about right. Okay. And then in the car, you looked at the album cover, which is a ridiculously muscled black man with a gun in his waistband, a chain around his arm, and cop killer tattooed across his chest. Okay. <laughs> and you turned the and you turned the car around because you were gonna make me return it. And in a moment of desperation, I bit into the actual physical like <laughs> case of the CD 
so that it would be damaged so that you couldn't <laughs> return it. Are you serious? This really happened? Yes. You don't remember this? Oh, my God. How could I forget that? But no, I don't remember it. Did I did I make you throw it out? What happened? No, you just went, <laughs> you son of a bitch, and you kept going home. <laughs> well, you have to remember, how old were you at the time? So I would have been like 10 in 1992. I probably yeah. picked this up at like the tail end of 93. So I was right around 12, not quite 13. Really? Yeah. Okay, well, let's do the math on this. If you were 12, I was 32. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> yeah, so think think about that. So I was in a different place in my life as well, plus full-time college student, plus had two kids, one being just a weirdo. And, yeah, I probably was like, I, that sounds about right. That, that sounds about right. If I were today... It would have been a different story, but probably then I was like, ah, fuck it. So, yeah. <laughs> Mother of the year, Wendy DeLore. Oh, the, the legend. Yeah. So, no, I, I do remember she was like, what the fuck is that? And I just grabbed the jewel case and bit into it as hard as I could. And that's how I went home with my Body Count album. Released on March 31st, 1992, Body Count is 18 tracks clocking in at 52 minutes, 59 seconds, and starts with the skit Smoked Pork. Wow, what's that song about? <laughs> Ice-T kills a cop! <laughs> Yo, Moose, stop the car right here. There they go. All right, give it here, give it here. Oh man, let me do it. Cool on, guys. I want to do it. Stay in the car, man. Stay in the car. Stay in the car. Uh, hi, officers. Um, we had a flat tire back there. Do you think you guys could help us out? Nah, that's not my job. My job's not to help your fucking ass out. I mean, um, you know, I don't have any other way to get home. That's not my job, asshole. Well, uh, could you tell me what your job is? Right now, my job is eating these donuts. Or maybe, hey, wait a minute, aren't you? Yeah. Awesome. So, like, ideally when performing a skit, the same guy only plays both characters <laughs> if he has the tiniest amount of voice acting talent. Which I suppose he'd been like, officer, what is your job? My job is to eat a donut. <laughs> wait, aren't you? Yep. Yes, I am. <laughs> But honestly, this is like my ASMR. Just, <laughs> just ice murdering him, himself as a cop. <laughs> so this kicks immediately into body counts in the house. Body count. Body count. Yeah, body motherfucker. Count. Body count. Yeah, if you've never heard this before, now we have your attention, don't we? No shit. Like, there's helicopters and sirens and machine guns and car crashes. And, like, yeah. it's body over. Body count. Body, body, body count. Body count. Body count. It's, it's so great. And, like, it's obvious to me now that, like, 
this is overdone to the point of parody. And that's something that was entirely lost on white parents at the time. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this track was also featured in the 1992 film Universal Soldiers starring Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren. And they made a video for it, which is literally just looped footage of Ice-T saying body count over and over again. Well, like they show Van Damme and explosions. And uh, that th- that's actually how I became aware of body count. Yeah, would be completely missing the point of body count. Like, let's put it in this movie starring these two, the two whitest European men in Hollywood. <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren. Yes, playing United States soldiers. Aryan warriors. <laughs> from the future. A future with no black people. <laughs> body count. <laughs> Uh, this is also where we get to meet the band. Take it away, Ice. Motherfucker place to be on the bass. I got my main motherfucker called Moose Man. Main the rhythm tracks. I got the one and only infamous D-Rock in the half. On the drums, I got the one and only Beatmaster V, motherfucker. On lead guitars, I got my nigga Ernie C. And I'm Ice motherfucking T, bitch. Fuck yeah. Yeah. So the band that this song sounds like is slayer <laughs> yes this is a slayer song except ernie c can play guitar solos all the way around carrie king <laughs> oh yeah no ernie c is great make no mistake like i listened to a couple interviews musically this is all ernie c the, the two writing credits on this album are ice t for lyrics and ernie c for music yeah and that's important to catch because ernie c rips and like the guitars yeah. are all awesome but like the rules of heavy music weren't written yet. So as you listen to this album, you're like, what the fuck is the drummer doing? Because like, <laughs> it would sound so much heavier. And I'm going to point, I, I got some comments about that later. Okay, cool. After we meet the band, we are immediately treated to another skit, Now Sports. This weekend, 17 youths killed in gang homicides. Now Sports. And that's, again, like a peek at the nihilistic humor of the band. Yeah, I mean, you can't underestimate the fact that, like, lots of this is a joke record. A lot of it is political commentary disguised as humor. He's mm-hmm. he's talking not so much about how much it, how cool it is to be a gangster. He is also alluding to the problematic nature of, like, young black men dying in gang warfare. Yeah, absolutely. In South Central Los Angeles at this time. And how most of America doesn't give a shit. So this song goes right into the track Body Count. And this song bangs. You know, sometimes I sit at home, you know, and I watch TV. And I wonder what it would be like to live someplace like, you know, the Cosby Show, Ozzy and Harriet. You know where cops come and got your cat out of the tree? All your friends died of old age. But you see, I live in South Central Los Angeles. And unfortunately... Shit ain't like that! It's real fucked up! The funniest thing for me on this song, though, is about halfway through, um, he goes, yo, Beatmaster, take these motherfuckers to South Central. And like 
heavy drum solos weren't there yet and also i'm pretty sure that ice t only knew one guy that plays the drums so he's in the in the middle of talking about like what would you do if a cop shot your kid in the backyard take these motherfuckers to south central and then he plays this dainty snare drum solo seen that Saturday Night Live skit where they have Will Ferrell do a drum off with the drummer from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. <laughs> That's it sounds like Will Ferrell is playing the drum solo. Right? He's just fucking banging on shit. He doesn't know what he's doing. I never noticed that and that is great. <laughs> I don't love how Ice is just like fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nobody knows what they're doing but they know what they like. Yeah exactly. So after this we are treated to you guessed it another skit. A statistic. A statistic. At this moment, there are more black males in prison than in college. I'm going to need your uh, your sources on that ice. Oh, no, wait. It's the fucking universal truth. <laughs> that leads into the song Bowels of the Devil, which is all about the prison industrial complex. Yeah, I mean, he just kind of spits it out there, tells it like it is. You know, he tells it from the experience of his friends and, uh, you know, he's, he's singing it in a platform that might reach a new audience. Yeah, and uh, like some of the lyrics are, let me tell you what that motherfucker eats. The stomach's filled with lost souls, guts made as steel and concrete. And then, you know, as it is the bowels of the devil, if you die, you're going out the back door, which is you just get shitted out. (laughs) It's it's pretty straightforward, but I like it. I really don't have much to say about it. Um, Yeah, I like it too. Who is Ernie C imitating in this? I don't know. Give me a clip. Yeah, this is a suicidal tendency song. Yeah, 100%. Nick, you you want to guess what we're getting right after that? Um, the re- a skit? Yes, we are getting a skit. The real problem. The problem isn't the lyrics on the records. It's the fear of the white kids liking a black artist. But the real problem is the fear of the white girl falling in love with the black man. She straight up calls out sexual racism. Like, it's no secret that within a white supremacy culture, never mind one that is mired in sexual repression, like, black males are stereotyped as more potent than white males. And it's this weird cuckold thing that white dudes invented and then trapped themselves in. Well, it goes all the way back to Birth of a Nation. Yeah, uh, where you know you have a white actor in blackface portraying a savage black man who's just uh, hungry for white women. And, yeah, it's uh, this weird fucking mandingo thing that, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. That that realistically still extends to pornography today. Oh yeah, absolutely, and that's a whole other fucking dark rabbit hole to go down. But uh, this leads into just a great track, KKK bitch. So uh, this is where he just takes his serious hat off and he's like, "Ah, I'm just going to be funny. Um, But this is also a song that like people freaked out over because like this is probably the most explicit lyrics in a rock song up until this point. I'm a two-year, I've been all around the world Went to Georgia, met this fine-ass white girl Blonde hair, blue eyes, big tits and thighs Kind of girl that would knock out most guys She got wild in the backstage bathroom Suck my dick like a motherfucking vacuum Said I love you, but my daddy don't play He's the fucking grand wizard of the KKK I love my KKK, bitch Love it with something, though 
That's right. It. This song is called KKK Bitch. <laughs> yeah. And it's a, it's a punk track and I love it. It's got the, ah, you know, it's yep. the, it's the call and response up. And then ice is actually quote saying that's based on a true story. As they say, we used to play in all these little redneck areas and some beautiful white girls would come backstage to have sex with us. That's what they wanted. And then they'd say things like my boyfriend wouldn't like it. If he knew I was here, he hates N words. And my daddy's in the Ku Klux Klan. What the fuck? It made no sense that these girls would be into us when you think about the families they were from. Fucked up or what? I, I do think it's kind of funny, but also fucked up that uh, Ice uses this track to take a shot at Tipper Gore. And um, there are two 12-year-old nieces. Yeah, yeah, so Tipper Gore, like I think we'll probably get into it a lot more in the next episode. Uh, but Tipper Gore was the wife of uh, Vice President at the time, Al Gore, or actually before he, he was just a senator at the time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And she was a founder of the PMRC, which was the group that got us like parental advisory stickers on CDs. And like she compared Ice-T to Hitler at one point saying that like, <laughs> well, uh, Hitler used inflammatory words and they were popular then too. And that's what Ice-T is doing now. So then he doubles down on it. And in one of the verse, he says that he fell in love with Tipper Gore's two 12-year-old nieces in this song. <laughs> But you know what? Fuck her. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Can you play the the spoken word clip before the third verse? Yeah. I think it really hammers this song home. So what we really trying to say is body count loves everybody. We love Mexican girls, black girls, Oriental girls. It really don't matter. If you from Mars and you got a pussy, we will fuck you. You know, that's all we saying. <laughs> yeah, so there, there you go. That, that kind of. That's what that song's about. Yeah. That, that's iced tea on race relations. <laughs> I mean, M Mars Pussy is a pretty great doom metal band name. <laughs> Copyright that shit. <laughs> Next up is C note. And this is really just like a nice instrumental palate cleanser. It's just Ernie C kind of showing his chops on the guitar. There's really not much to say about it. This one this is the one that sounds like the Top Gun soundtrack. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it's already C doing his thing. Next up is the track Voodoo. <laughs> or as I like to call it, Ice-T can't scream. <laughs> oh no, this is so funny. But like the really guttural scream wasn't there yet. And he like tries and it's so bad. So it's just this made up story about how he's down in New Orleans and he meets like this witch doctor woman who then makes a uh, voodoo doll out of him. And she starts to like torture the voodoo doll and, you know, Ice is feeling the effects, so... <laughs> She took the needle, stuck it in its eye. Ah! <laughs> uh, next up is The Winner Loses. Uh, this is the weirdest song in the album for me, but if they played this one for me in Dare class, maybe it would have stuck versus watching like a fat cop that lived three blocks over me trying to tell me why drugs aren't cool. <laughs> this kind of worked. Right? Like, iced tea. Hey, I never smoked, drank, or did drugs. I just fuck racists <laughs> and kill cops. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I want to be like iced tea. He's quoted saying, I wrote that song about a friend of mine about how drugs fucked up his life. All the songs here are based on personal experience just put into lyrics. And I'm proud of what we did on that record. So... This goes back to Ernie C's like more classic rock influences. And this is a classic rock song, like a motherfucker. Yeah. Like play the very end. Okay. Or any any part at all. 
Also, this is the closest Ice-T gets to singing. You wanna get high at the sky You're kissing your love goodbye You're kissing your life goodbye You think it's a game You think it's a game that you play This song is six and a half minutes long. <laughs> so, uh... I, I was, you know, I, I, like I said, I hadn't heard this whole album until recently. And that includes this song, which I never heard before three days ago. And I was at Phoenix uh, Sky Harbor Airport waiting for an Uber to, pick me up, to take me to my hotel. And I'm on the platform and this song's on. And I'm just standing there by myself going, what the fuck? Sky. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know. It's a great song. It's just fucking weird. <laughs> it's just weird to go on this album. Next up is the first single off this album, There Goes the Neighborhood. And this is my favorite song of the album. I played this one for a friend of mine, and he goes, There's a lot of hard R's in this song. <laughs> oh, let's give it to him. Uh, this, is, this is Ice addressing haters pretty much head on. It's, it's got some Sabbath in there. It's got some Misfits. It's got some some uh, Led Zeppelin. It's, you know, covering yeah. all the bases. Yeah, it's a great song, though. Uh, a lot of hard R's. Never noticed that. Yeah. Yeah, well, he but he's singing from the perspective of, like, the white metalheads in the audience. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It is true. But, yeah, I like it. I, I mean, it just goes back to, like, how self-aware Ice-T is of the world that he's operating in. Any guesses of what's next? Skit. Skit, skit. I got a skit for you. This is called Oprah. On Oprah Today, we discuss male promiscuity. Why men are constantly in a search for sex and new sexual partners. <laughs> and that leads right into Evil Dick. The horniest of Ice-T's many horny songs. It's real gross. It's, it's pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's my least favorite song of the album. It's also my least favorite song. It's like very juvenile. It's uh. Ice-T's dick has a mind of its own and it gets him in trouble, which I... Yeah. It wasn't on. me, my sweet lady girlfriend. It was my evil dick that did yeah. it. Yeah. My evil dick. And yeah, it's like evil dick likes wet, warm spaces. And I'm just like, yeah. nope, out, yeah, out, out. I'm done. Out. I don't want to think about Ice-T's sure. dick. But that does lead into the body count anthem. And this is the second song on the album whose lyrics are just body count over and over. That leads us to probably one of the weirdest songs on this album. Yeah. Yeah. So this is one of the other ones that got uh, a lot of attention aside from Cop Killer and KKK mm -hmm. Bitch. Uh, this song is called Mama's Gotta Die Tonight. And it's literally about Ice-T killing his mom because she's a racist. The flip of that is that she's racist against white people. There's a great quote where Ice addresses this, and he says, I don't trust humans. That's as far as it goes for me. Color never comes into it. But there is such a thing as reactive racism, something you're brought up with, and it stays with you. 
We can all think of certain countries who naturally hate other countries because of what's happened in the distant past. In this song, I confront the issue of the way black people from my father's generation view racism. It's got like this awesome sinister groove and like Ice-T really plays that up and like gets into that mindset of he's in love with a white girl and he's got this Norman Bates thing going on where his mother is constantly in his head and like haranguing him and trying to fill him with like all these kind of like racist attitudes. So he cuts her fucking head off. Yeah, he uh, sets her on fire and then beats her up with a Louisville slugger and then he cuts her up. And then he names all the places that he takes her body. We should probably play that part. Yes, we should. <laughs> to some of her around the world, to Arizona, New York, Chicago, Atlanta, Miami, Oakland. <laughs> Yo, you want to go to Connecticut, bitch? That's my favorite part. You want to go to Connecticut, bitch? No, so my favorite part about this is he's doing this thing that like would later just become standard, like sublime, you know, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. You know, so when you're on tour, you could like point at the crowd. So here he is talking about where he's chopped up his mom and he's like, taking her to Arizona. So when he's playing in Phoenix, they're like, yeah, your mom's body's here. <laughs> Never thought about that. Oh my Texas, God. LA. <laughs> You're so right. If body count played in Charlotte or if body count played in Winston, tell me that. I took her to Winston Salem. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. So that is where we are going to leave this episode because we've got one more skit and one more track that deserve their own episode. Of course, I'm talking about Cop Killer and Buddy, it's a ride. Hell yeah. No, I'm really looking forward to talking about it. I'm glad that it's getting its own full episode because it's uh, one of the more important things that happen in music in our lifetimes. It's a cultural black hole. It is this thing everybody knows about, but it just like doesn't exist out there. It's it's crazy. So I'm really looking forward to bringing that to you. So this is a two-parter on Body Count. Next week, we will be back with Cop Killer. Nick, what have you been listening to? Have you heard of 84 Tigers? No, it is the new band composed of um, the two brothers from Small Brown Bike and another dude from the Swellers on drums. Oh, wow. So I'm going to give you their first single. They only have two singles out right now. Uh, okay. Full length's coming soon there. The fellas live uh, near Lansing, Michigan, so that's mostly where they've been playing. Um, they're also, you know, a little older than us and probably aren't taking this too incredibly seriously. Sure. Uh, they broke up Small Brown Bike a few times over the years. But uh, I think most of my friends, I probably talked about Small Brown Bike on the show. Most of my friends know that's like my favorite genre of music is yep. what bands like them and Hot Water Music have done. So this is Kingdom of One by 84 Tigers.
I love it. Yeah, it's super good. Yeah, dude. That's really, really good. That was 84 Tigers? That's correct. I'm into it. All right. So, Nick, we are going to be going to Furnace Fest yet again this September. So I've kind of been getting back into my classic bag. And one of the things I'm really, really excited for at this year's Furnace Fest is the return of Maylene and the Sons of Disaster. This band features Dallas, who was the original singer of Under Oath, and he suffered a really, really tragic uh, accident, and it blinded him in one eye, and uh, he, he was really fucked up from it, and they never thought he would regain all his faculties again, let alone perform. But in spite of all that, he is going to be returning to the stage at Furnace Fest, uh, and I, for one, cannot wait. So I've been diving back into that catalog, and the song I'm going to play for you is Gusty Like the Wind off of the self-titled Maylene and the Sons of Disaster. was Gusty Like the Wind by Maylene and the Sons of Disaster. Hell yeah. Definitely going to be one of the more popular sets at Furnace Fest this year. Absolutely. Nick, where can they find us? Hey, you can find us at Days of the New. That's D-A-Y-Z of the New N-U on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me on both platforms at Nick underscore the underscore knife. You can find me on Instagram at K-J-D-E-L-U-R-Y, and you sure as shit can't find me on Twitter now that Elon Musk is going to turn into a right-wing hellhole. Although now he's saying, like, the deal is on hold because until he can confirm that, like, less than 5% of accounts are bots. And Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it has nothing to do with that it's $42 billion and he had to borrow the money and leverage his own stocks. I'm sure it has nothing to do with that or the fact that the stock is already valued at less than what he's supposed to buy it at. But, yeah, yeah I'm sure yeah, it has to do with bots. Five per- he's like, yeah, if 5% are bots, it's like, dude, like, 25% yeah, are at bots. Least, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so f- fuck all that noise. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, if you have the time and you haven't stopped listening already, uh, go ahead and smash that subscribe button and leave us. And a yeah. Little- any, any reviews you can leave it uh, on iTunes help. Um, yep. We've uh, picked up a lot of followers lately and we have listeners that are just popping up across the world and it's really cool to see. Uh, tell your friends, uh, you know, we're not trying to monetize this thing. We're just trying to, you know, get the good word out of, Whatever the fuck we feel like talking about. Yep. Uh, And especially if you have any friends or family in law enforcement, just go ahead and send this episode and the following to them. And we will see you next Thursday. (laughs) Catch you guys later. All right. Peace. Days of the New is a production of the Palm Springs 86. You were there.